Amos chapter three for tonight. Amos chapter three. A 19th century industrial baron once said to Mark Twain, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I will climb to the top of Mount Sinai and read the 10 commandments aloud. Twain replied, he said, why don't you just stay home and keep them? <laughs> I think that's good. You know, um, the problem is oftentimes we can have the appearance of religion, religion or religiosity, um, but the idea of just doing what the word says and, and being real and genuine in our faith and not just kind of poser Christians or, you know, in the Old Testament times, poser believers in God, the, the only true God at least. And, and the Jews were kind of at that place where they really wanted to sort of act like, yeah, we're good Jews. You know, we're practicing Jews. We, we do the temple stuff and we make sacrifices. Ah, so we worship some other gods and goddesses, but whatever. Um, and and they, they really didn't care about the true and living God or his word at this point. And that's why God sends this um, unsuspecting, you know, goat herder, fig picking dude from Tekoa to come and speak to the, you know, the upper echelon, the, the wealthy, the, you know, the elite people of Bethel and Samaria and the Northern 10 tribes, kind of an unlikely prophet. But it does seem like the Lord does that oftentimes. He uses powerfully the unlikely, the, the, the people that you think, oh man, I can't even believe God can use that person. Um, and uh, I, I love that the Lord chooses to use the weak and the foolish of the world to confound the wise. And, and that's what I see in the book of Amos. Amos is this guy who's just comes out of nowhere. Nobody even knows him as a prophet. This is his first thing. Like I said, at the beginning of our study, some people believe his ministry may have lasted only one week, uh, his whole life. You know, you look at a guy like Jeremiah who prophesied for 42 years. Nobody listened to him, but 42 years. But Amos, he, he does kind of a hard-hitting but very fast uh, prophecy uh, word to the people. And we kind of ended up last week, if you recall, there in um, you know, Amos chapter uh, two, where we saw, you know, where we saw this verse. Uh, you know, and in fact, it was, let's review just for a second. Amos chapter two, verse 12. Um, we saw just a, last week where it says, um, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet saying, prophesy not. Man, here's, you know, uh, Amos coming to a place where these people, the Northern 10 tribes, they shut down the prophets. They said, you know, shut your mouths. We don't wanna hear you. And they blew them off um, and uh, didn't wanna hear it. You know, it's interesting because in John chapter eight, uh, you know, Jesus talked about this. He that is of God hears God's words you therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Boy, that's an interesting indicator that someone is not of God. Um, you'll get this today when you see, see people that just blow off God's word altogether. And then they'll, they'll kind of throw back in your face as a Bible-believing Christian, who are you to, don't judge me. How do you, you don't know my walk with God. Well, actually it's interesting because the Bible tells us all kinds of signs and evidences of a real believer versus a false believer. And one big sign of someone who's not of God, uh, by the way, does that phrase, I mean, do we really know what that means? If you are not of God, is that a good thing or a bad thing? How bad is that? Really bad. If, if you're not of God, you're going to hell. I mean, that's a problem. I hope you understand that. 
And so people that are saying, yeah, you know, I kind of, I think the Bible is interesting and Jesus was a good teacher and, and yeah, 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 God bless America, I'm a Christian. Eesh. Are you really of God? You have to ask the question. You know, people say, Brett, why do you guys that are Bible believing, you know, people, why do you guys spend so much time talking about the homosexual issue? Um, and part of the reason why is because it's a whole group of people that are saying, we blow off the word of God. We, we take the scriptures that are of God and God says one of the things that's an abomination before his sight is homosexuality. And the people that say, yeah, we don't, we don't agree with that. That's why it's such a big deal. That, it's, it's not because we're, you know, haters or trying to tell people that, you know, and some people say, Brett, aren't there other sins you need to talk more about? Um, well, yeah, we talk about all sin here at Athey Greek, but, but, um, but I'll tell you, the sins where people are saying, yeah, we like these sins. We, we celebrate these sins. We march for these sins. That's a different level. Um, and I've mentioned it before. There's a lot of sins we all kind of go, yeah, that's still pretty much a sin. Like if a husband is beating his wife, yeah, ugly, horrible sin. And there's no bunch of groups of guys marching down the street saying, we like to beat our wives and we're proud of it. Like nobody's doing that. Praise the Lord for that. Um, because we know that's a no-brainer. You got, you, you got to be, you know, complete imbecile to not understand, well, that's, that's sin and God hates that, despises that. But it's interesting, there's certain sins that our culture has selected and said, that's eh, not bad. In fact, we, we love it. And, and you guys are misunderstanding scripture. He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not as Jesus was saying to these people, because you are not of God. That, that's heartbreaking to me. Um, when you know there's people that are saying, yeah, we're gonna blow off the scriptures on that particular point, you're not of God. That's a heavy, heavy word. Well, that's the condition of the people of Amos' time. And frankly, uh, I'd say we're at least as bad in our culture today as they were in then. Um, so this book is for us. I hope you understand that. A lot of people miss that. Well, who cares about a fig-picking shepherd from Tekoa talking to a bunch of dead people from the Assyrian you know, invasion? Who cares about that? It's written and recorded in the Word for you and me in Portland, Oregon in 2022 to say, whew, let's learn from these people and their mistakes because we are just like them. Their culture, their attitudes, their actions, very much like them. We saw that on Sunday as we were talking about the wealthy. And we see, even tonight, we'll see that in our chapters before we even get to chapter six that we looked at on Sunday. So um, basically, you know, he, he's already kind of passed out some of the judgments to the surrounding nations and of Judah and of Israel. We saw that last week. And in chapter three, we pick up, in the next three chapters, there, there's three distinct messages that Amos is gonna give us. The first one, chapter three, is a message of explanation. Uh, he, Amos is gonna explain in chapter three what in the world's going on and why are they headed for judgment. He's gonna give them sort of the why uh, that, that it's coming, explaining what they've done that's put them in peril, puts, puts them in, in the line of fire. Why, why is it happening? And so let's take a look, Amos chapter three, verse one. It says, hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore will I punish you for all your iniquities. The Lord says, listen, I, I'm your father to the Jews. You're not like every other nation. I'm gonna discipline you because you're my kids. One little thing you might wanna note, and especially if you're a younger adult here, and there's always this temptation to discipline other people's children. Not a great idea. 
Um, it's funny how a mom can see the evil in their son, but as soon as you start disciplining their son or talking about it, she hates you. It's kind of that mother bear instinct thing. But, but um, yeah, it is interesting how really, uh, unless you're the parent, you really don't have the right to discipline in, a, in the same way um, that, that a real parent does. Um, and you can get into real trouble if you're trying to you know, correct other kids and stuff like that, it's a problem. But here the Lord says to the Jews, you're my children. I, we're a family here in verse one, he says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt as a family. And then he says, but you only have I known all the, of all the families of the earth. Um, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Um, now that sounds brutal, but remember what Hebrews says, whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. Um, the, the, the word of uh, chasten is spanked. Uh, it's like the Lord, who the Lord loves, he spanks. And the Bible teaches that. If you love your son or your daughter, you will spank them. Um, if you hate your child, you'll spare the rod. That's what the Bible says over and over again. Well, I don't like that and I disagree with it. Remember the verse I just told you about doing what the Bible says and you're not of God if you reject, like, like if you're just rejecting openly things in the scripture, that puts you in really bad place. I mean, I'm not saying you've lost your salvation or you're going to hell. I'm just saying, I wouldn't wanna be you. We, we need to submit to the word of God uh, in these points of the scripture. It's what the Bible calls us to do. And, and, um, and this, is, this is the Lord just, it's expositional constancy is what we call this, where all throughout the Bible, the notions are all the same, whether it's God saying, I love the Jews as my children and I'm gonna, because I love them, I'm gonna spank them, discipline them. And that's really what he's saying here in verses uh, one and two. Uh, God takes it upon himself uh, to discipline uh, his own children. In Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48, it says this, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten, beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever, whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. This is that whole notion to whom much is given, much will be required. And the Jews were given a lot. They were taken out of Egypt. God showed his mighty arm and the parting of the Red Sea and the feeding of manna and taking care of them and subduing their enemies and crossing the Jordan River and getting into the promised land. Like the Lord has a huge list of, of things that he had done for the Jews. And so the Lord says, man, and here you are in total rebellion. Um, you know, too much is given, much will be required. This, this, this is why the Lord says, man, I've got judgment coming your way because um, you guys should know better. By the way, this too much is given, much will be required. This does sort of answer possibly some questions that I, I hear from time to time. Have you ever, you know, heard the question, what about the pygmies? It's, it's not a, a good question anymore because the gospel has reached the whole world. I'm, I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing. But, you know, uh, they say, what about, what about the people that live in the jungle of, the, of Papua New Guinea down in the South Pacific um, who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, you know, will God send them to hell? And people like to you know, think of these really remote situations that might be possible and they forget about them easy to figure out stuff uh, at the same time. But um, one of the answers that you might under understand is to whom much is given, much will be required. And I think, you know, you and I, we've been given Bibles and commentaries and blue letter Bible that's free online. It's like a Bible resource, which is awesome. Um, we have no excuse, we, we know stuff. 
Um, we have sermons, we have uh, teachings online, YouTube videos to watch. I mean, like it's amazing how much we have. To whom much is given, that's us, much will be required. Which the inverse then would be true too. Less is required of someone who hasn't been given much. So I've often wondered about, let's just say there is a pygmy little person in the jungle who's never heard of the gospel. Um, they will be held accountable for what they've been given. Um, you know, and we know a little bit about this as far as like their faith in believing in a God because Romans chapter one talks about how even creation speaks of the Lord's existence. And he says, you, O oh man, will be without excuse just because of creation. So, um, uh, you know, the pygmy sees the sky and the sun and the trees and says, man, there must be someone greater, the creator of these things. Isn't it interesting that the more intellectual we get, the more we tend to try to reject the idea of a creator, even though creation screams of the Lord's glory. Um, people wanna reject that. Um, there's a story that was back in the 1930s, I, I believe, um, of somewhere down in the South Pacific in the jungles of the islands down there, um, where a missionary finally reached this little remote village that had never been reached by outsiders. Um, I'm told there's still some of those villages like in the Amazon region in some places, maybe in the South Pacific too. But, um, but they, they, they came walking in and you know, they got permission you know, to come, to their, come into their village. They walked in and they were a little worried because a lot of cannibals in those days, uh, a lot of missionaries were boiled and eaten. Um, but they made it to this one village and in the middle of the village, they had this, what they call a nakamal, which is like a community center. Um, in the center of their little village. It's just a hut with a bigger roof than their huts at home. And um, they're all made out of bamboo and stuff. But in the middle of this Nakamal, there was this cross, um, the cross of Jesus. And the missionaries were stunned. And they said, missionaries have been here before. And they've said, we've never seen anyone from the outside here ever before. Well, then where'd you, where'd you get this? Where'd you get the notion of the cross? Oh, years ago, one of our elders had a vision and said, put this in your Nakamal, this sign, and someone will come and explain it to you later. Like that's, that's what the vision was for this old elder in the village. And the, so they put the sign up in their Nakamal and sure enough, the missionaries came and said, well, here's what that means. And it makes you start to wonder, um, man, the Lord has his ways. He doesn't necessarily need us. He does wanna use us to share the gospel, but he could do it on, a, on, his, on his own if he wanted to. And I believe he has. And, and so, you know, every, every creature on this planet will have to admit uh, there's no excuse. Uh, and, and, and I believe the Lord will be very gracious to those who've been given very little. Um, but it makes me nervous a little bit because we have been given so much. To whom much is given, much is required. And that's really why here in Amos chapter three, the Lord starts off, you guys are gonna be disciplined and it's gonna be brutal because of your rebellion. Well, um, let's read on. Uh, in verse uh, three, he starts to ask those questions. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, the first question, rhetorical questions. Some people say it's four questions. And I, 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 you know, the more I look at it, I'd say six. Uh, I can see why people, it depends on what translation you're using and stuff like that. But um, six rhetorical questions, that's what I'll call it tonight, uh, that he asks that are kind of obvious answers. Um, you know, I mentioned this on that Sunday, uh, is the Pope Catholic? Well, obviously, yes. Uh, some of you Catholics are like, no. 
because uh, uh, this Pope is a little different than some of the other Popes. But, um, but all that to say, um, yeah, uh, th- these are obvious questions, but notice the questions. I, I, I find these questions a little bit interesting. They're cause and effect questions. You know, and basically the cause is the sin of the people. The effect is God's judgment is coming. Um, and so these are questions that basically a shepherd from Tekoa would ask or know about, you know, and, and you'll see there's kind of a shepherding, um, farming kind of uh, notion here, which a lot of people in ancient times could relate to. So he starts off in verse three, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer to that is no. If there's a disagreement, people don't walk together. Uh, Verse four, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has taken nothing? So will a lion roar in the forest if he has no prey? Well, no, the lion sneaks very stealthily through the forest Uh, so that he doesn't scare off all the animals, so that he can have little tasty treats. But after he kills the uh, beast, or if he wants to scare the beast into the mouths of other lions that are on the other side of the field, they might roar. But uh, this is the obvious answer again, no. Uh, Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has taken nothing? The answer is no. Again, this is what a fig-picking shepherd from uh, Tekoa would know about these things. Can, verse five, a bird fall in a snare upon the earth? Um, where no gin or a trap, that's the word gin is trap. For uh, if there's no trap, will, will a bird be snared? No. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? The answer is no. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Trumpets were sounded when military armies were coming their way and there was, it was a warning sim- signal that was meant to you know, warn the people. Oh man, get ready, get your weapons, something's happening. So the answer to that is obviously, of course not. Um, uh, shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Um, the word evil there might be better uh, you know, translated judgment. Shall there be judgment in the city? He's bringing it closer to home. He starts with you know, nature um, and uh, birds being snared. Uh, again, this is, as a country boy, I grew up with this. Me and my next door neighbor, we trapped little animals. Um, uh, some of them not so humanely, I have to say. Um, my dad gave me a buck of gopher when I was a kid. Um, in our field, in our garden, you know, gophers just would go nuts. And so in the summertime, uh, I had, you know, about 20 of these gopher traps, you know, the kind that had the little, you know, door. And if you push the door, these, these, these metal barbs would just go ching. And, um, and so the little happy gopher would be going along and his little hole, you know, you'd find the pile of dirt. And if you'd scoot the dirt over, you'd find the little hole and you stick the gopher trap down in there and put the door up and set the trap so that the gopher kind of pushes on the door and all of a sudden, ching, last thing that goes through his mind, metal. Uh, my metal trap uh, went through his mind. And so I would come in, like a good day, I'd get five bucks uh, when I'd pull in my gopher traps and stuff. Um, but I also, uh, my next door neighbor and I, we would put out these more humane traps too, uh, and we'd catch skunks and stuff like that. It was awesome. Uh, my neighbor even had a pet skunk for a while, um, and then they had to let him go because he bit people. Um, uh, as it turns out, you're not, they're not, they don't do so well uh, in, the, in, in the house. Um, <laughs> yeah, I told you I was a hick uh, when I grew up, but yeah, that's pretty much. Pretty much what we did. But um, this is the stuff that, you know, they're talking about, uh, you know, and, and the world at that time, they all, oh yeah, traps and birds and, you know, lions and prey. This was, this was common analogies that they all say, of course, yeah. And Amos is just saying ridiculously, um, yes. 
and the trumpet is gonna blow and this city will be troubled or judged. Evil is coming upon this city. Like he kind of ends with that last question in verse six, that evil of judgment or the wrath of God is gonna be poured out. So um, verse seven, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret um, unto his servants, the prophets. Um, the lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? We already learned in verse 12 of the previous chapter, they, they told the prophets, prophesy not. Stop speaking the word of the Lord. But here, um, you know, Amos is reminding them, man, God's not gonna do anything that he hasn't already revealed to you. Uh, and by the way, that's true for you and me as well. Um, you know, they said, we don't wanna hear the prophets. Today, people say, we don't wanna hear the scriptures. Um, we don't have prophets like they did in the Old Testament. We have the ministry of prophecy that is a, uh, a, when the Holy Spirit moves in a believer in the, in the New Testament church, that person can give a word of prophecy. But um, it's not like the prophets of old. The prophets of old gave the word of the Lord to the people and um, even told future events that would, would be coming. Um, Jesus said John the Baptist was the last of those prophets. And then if you read 1 Corinthians 14, Paul defines what a prophet does. He gives in the, in the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit manifesting through that person. And that could be anybody. You're, you, you're not a prophet and you should be glad about that. You don't have to lay naked on your side for a year or you know, cut your hair and slice it up in the air like the prophets. So, like the Old Testament prophet, that was a, that was a tough gig. You and I have a much better uh, ministry uh, when you get any of you that are Christians that where the spirit of the Lord comes upon you and you have a word, but it's gotta be a word that kind of includes one of, or all three things, a word of edification, exhortation, or comfort. That's what a prophet, prophecy of the Lord through a person in the church, that's the way that works. But you're not a prophet, as it were, of the Old Testament. I get, I get a lot of comments when I say stuff like this. Um, um, people start get, sending me hundreds of emails. Brad, that's not right. Well, why do you think that's not? Because a prophet came and visited our town in Oregon City. Um, and my answer to that is wacko. If you say, I am a prophet of the Lord and I have a word, and you're acting like you're a prophet like the Old Testament time, read your Bible. That person is mistaken. Uh, and I'm saying that strongly because some of you, just because your church told you that when you grew up, and then, yeah, there's prophets today, just like John the Baptist and Ezekiel and, or you know, Isaiah or, or you know, Daniel, they're the same. Um, I would just say, read your Bible and see what Jesus said in Luke. And when John the Baptist came and talked about how John the Baptist was the last of the prophets, you have to understand the ministry of prophecy changed in the church age uh, as opposed to the Old Testament period. And, um, and the reason I say that, well, well, Brett, does that mean that prophet is from the devil, the person that comes in? No, that, that guy just needs to read his Bible more. He may be a believer, maybe he's a guy that loves Jesus, um, but I'm just telling you, he's not a prophet like they, you know, they claim in the Old Testament. I also think you have to be careful whenever somebody starts claiming I'm an apostle or these, these kind of funny words. In some ways, we, we all are apostles. Um, what does the word apostle mean, anybody? Yes, sent out, one who's sent out. The ultimate apostle was Jesus. He was sent from the Father. Um, 
Then Jesus sent out his disciples and that's why they're called the apostles. You know, uh, the, 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 there were the 12 apostles. Um, but then, you know, there were other apostles, Paul the apostle, and why? Because Paul was sent by Jesus. Now, now some people say the, the apostles ended um, at Paul because Jesus, remember at the road to Damascus, Jesus knocked Paul off his horse and said, I am one you're persecuting Paul, but go now. And, and so some people say that's how Paul got the apostleship delineation. Um, and so some people say, well, then that was the end of the apostles. And, and I understand what they're saying there. But in, in a sense, when you read the Bible, we have all been sent out to spread the gospel. We've all been given the charge, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them. And so when it comes to, when a person says, I am an apostle of the Lord, then you know what you should say to them? So am I, man, that's awesome. <laughs> no, you're not, I am an apostle. Then you know they're really wacko. Uh, if there's a high loon, you know, those little beady eye things that they do. If, if that's happening, run for your life. But just say, yeah, we're all apostles. That, you know, as, as Christians, we're all sent by God to go in the world and preach the gospel. Um, so I, I do, not to be a stickler as much at these delineations, but I think we have to be careful because there can be a prideful sort of, I alone have the holy anointing on my life. And, and it gets a little weird. And usually those people are, are not. Uh, they might even be misguided uh, in their doctrine and what have you. So just word of caution about that. Um, but these people of the Old Testament, I, I love that. Now you, some of you might say, Brett, I wish we had prophets like the Old Testament days. Um, and I understand what you think. In a way, that could be cool. The problem is nobody ever listened to the prophets. Would we do better? Would you and I do better than the Jews did in listening to their prophets? I don't think so. Um, now, what we do have, by the way, in the New Testament are pastors and teachers, um, people who are teaching the Bible. And, and instead of prophets, what you and I have is we have the written word of God. We have this whole book right here. And I love this because I wouldn't trade this for a prophet. Let me tell you why. Because all the word of prophecy that we ever need is right here. You and I can study this and learn this. And this has been tried and tested and true for centuries. So um, I look at the scripture, us having the scripture as opposed to having, you know, Isaiah running around naked for a year. Um, I think the scriptures, is, it's just better. It's the word of God and it's in black and white. And you and I, there's no question if there's an argument, we can say, hey, check this out. We don't have to find Isaiah or Daniel and say, hey, what's the, what's the deal here? I love that we have the scriptures. Um, speaking of Daniel, Daniel chapter two, um, verse 30, Daniel said, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Um, I love Daniel, the prophet, who just said, man, it's not because I'm a great person that I was a prophet, but I do have the word of God. See, and that's what you and I have. We have the same thing Daniel did. All of us have the word of God, but it's written down for us in, in black and white. I love that. And red too, by the way. Um, but I love that if you have a red letter edition. Anyway, uh, all that to say, back to our text. These people didn't want to hear it from the prophets and the Lord is reminding them, man, I sent my prophets. They all spoke uh, but you didn't listen to my word through the prophets. So verse nine, he says, publish in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces of the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof and the oppressed in the midst thereof for they uh, know not to do right, saith the Lord who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be, even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, kind of like, you know, Van der Holyfield. Um, <laughs> sorry. You know, like if a shepherd pulls his lamb out of the lion's mouth, there's a piece is missing. Um, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in the Damascus, and in Damascus in a couch. Um, this is, uh, this is saying the destruction upon, uh, you know, Samaria is gonna be horrible, like a lion with a lamb in its mouth and pieces being torn apart. Like that's a pretty rough image, but that's what the Lord is saying because of uh, their, their rebellion. I already told you the beginning of this chapter is, is basically a message of explanation. He's explaining, you've not listened to the prophets. And verse 10 is another big one. Verse 10, for they know not to do right. The people just never did the right thing. Um, instead, they always did the wrong thing and they rejected the Lord's truth. And thus the Lord says, man, your palaces are gonna be ripped up and spoiled and your land's gonna be taken. Verse 13, hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. We talked about these people's homes on Sunday, the ivory houses, we talked about the um, archeological digs that were done in 1931. Uh, and, uh, and, and really these people were living large. That was, that was kind of what we learned from chapter six. But also, <coughs> excuse me, echoed here in, in chapter three, um, verse 14, <coughs> excuse me, it says, um, the altars of Bethel. Now you might think, well, why is the Lord gonna tear down the altars of Bethel? Because uh, that sounds so holy and beautiful and all that. But here's the thing. Um, do you guys remember when Jeroboam, uh, there was Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, remember those guys? And Rehoboam was in the, in the south, in Judah, the king, and Jeroboam was up in the north. This is shortly after Solomon was the king and the civil war broke out and Israel split in half. And the southern two tribes were their own country and the northern 10 tribes, that's the situation here in Amos. But Jeroboam, the king in the north, um, decided that, man, you know, once, when, when the people made the, the journey, the pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to do their festivals and feasts and what have you, the men were required to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Jeroboam was a little worried that he would lose um, sort of a, um, a commitment from those people to be on his side. They'd go back down to Jerusalem and worship there at the temple and go, oh man, we shouldn't be separated from these Southern people, we're, we're brothers. And Jeroboam was a little worried. So he said, hey, guess what? We've got new Mook worship centers. Instead of the temple, we're gonna make these little worship centers. And so he did, and Bethel was one of them. And then a place where we go uh, tell Dan, uh, there in uh, Northern Israel, right on the Northern border of Syria and Lebanon is where the Danites ended up in a place called Laish, which is a, one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel. There's a place where the Dan, the city, a river flowed through the city. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful city that was kind of refreshing and still is. It's kind of amazing to see those ruins. 
But you can go to these ruins where Jeroboam set up these places of worship. And here's what he did. He built altars just like the ones in Jerusalem. The only difference was instead of being a lamb or worshiping God or Jehovah, do you remember? Who did Jeroboam pull out of his hat to worship? Golden calves. Where did they get that idea? Anybody? Egypt, not a great idea. Um, he said, so forget Jerusalem, you people of Northern Israel, come and worship at Bethel. So, you know, Bethel means house of God. So you're all picturing, oh, the house of God and the altar and the Lord's gonna tear that down. Well, the altar at Bethel was an altar built to these gods, the cow uh, that, they would, that they would worship. Um, and the Lord just says, you're, 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 these altars are gonna, gonna be toast. You guys have um, totally profaned the place of worship. And, and that's why he's calling that out in verse 14. I will visit the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar will be cut off and your ivory houses will be crushed. Well, so there you have it. Now, chapter one, or three, I should say, a message of explanation. Chapter four is now a message of accusation. The Lord is gonna, through the prophet Amos, say, here's the accusation that I'm gonna level at you. And when the Lord accuses, you gotta understand, he's right. Um, uh, so, um, uh, an, a message of accusation. Um, it says here in verse, um, verse one, hear his word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches, the word breaches there through the broken walls is the, your, your walls around your city will be busted up in pieces. Every cow at that which is before her and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. So who are the cows of Bashan? Here's where I could get myself into a lot of trouble. Um, because, well, first of all, let's talk about where's Bashan. Bashan is a territory in the east of the Jordan River. Um, and the, um, the, it's kind of between the mountains of Gilead uh, in the south of, uh, and south of Mount Hermon uh, on the north, but uh, south of there, but on the east side of the Jordan River. And it was settled by two and a half of the tribes. If you recall, when the children of Israel were coming in and, and they were supposed to go into the promised land, two and a half tribes said to Moses, we don't wanna go into the promised land. We wanna stay on this side. It was Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They said, we love it over here. And Moses was furious with them. You guys are just big chickens. You wanna stay in this nice land and have us have to go into the promised land and fight all the enemies. Uh, by ourselves. And the people said, okay, Mo, we'll make you a deal. We'll go in and fight in the land of Israel, but we still want this land that's over here on the other side of the Jordan. The thing that's interesting about that, by the way, and there's a lesson in this, those people said, we don't wanna go into the promised land that the Lord has promised to us. Um, Moses made a deal with them. And by the way, they did keep their deal. And even after Moses was dead and gone, Joshua, they went in and fought with them. And then they said, okay, Joshua, remember Moses made a promise. We get to go live in you know, the land of Bashan, east side of the Jordan River. And Joshua was like, okay, if that's what you want. And so they did, they went over there. Guess who the first people that were picked off by the Assyrians were? Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Um, you know, the, the land of promise 
is an interesting picture of the fullness of the spirit-filled Christian life. What God wants for you, that just to go into the promised land. Some people say the promised land is heaven. I heard an old gospel hymn that said, the, I'm going to the promised land, which is heaven. That's a nice notion, but the problem is in the promised land, there's still giants and Philistines and Canaanites. That's not gonna happen in heaven. What the promised land does picture, um, I believe, is when the, uh, the, a person goes where God wants them to go, and are you know, receiving the fullness of that spirit-filled Christian walk in life, that's taking possession of all your possessions that God wants you to have. The two and a half tribes said, yeah, whatever. We're, we we wanna just kind of hang back and not be part of that. And that was never a safe place to be. If you wanna be safe, go where God wants you to go. These people hung back and they were the first ones picked off. Um, and so that's the people being talked about here, the, the, the people of Bashan. And, and so the word kind there, many of you know what that word is, cow. Is, is another word for, for kind. Who, who's the Lord talking about here? Okay, you guys ready for this? The women of these tribes. He's calling the women cows. Uh, yeah, all the ladies are like, oh my, that's horrible. Um, why, are, why is the Lord calling them cows? Um, um, well, it, um, the area of Bashan was very fertile, very great for ranching and farming, and it was sleek. Uh, uh, the cattle, the cows of Bashan, were the healthiest cows in the region. Um, it's almost like if you go to a restaurant and you find out that, oh, this is Argentinian beef. Or, you know, you steak people know there's certain kinds of beef and, you know, whether it's grass-fed or grain-fed or whatever. Like, well, these cows and bulls of Bashan were known to be the best of the best. Um, but this is a derogatory term toward the women of this area. Um, who's, who's Amos addressing? The cows of Bashan, because the word cows is in the feminine in the Hebrew, which we miss that in the English language. Most expositors and Bible theologians say that he's speaking of the women who were li living a very luxurious, well-fed, well-dressed, well-groomed sort of life. And they, they were famous for being women that lived in the lap of luxury. Um, and um, to enable them to enjoy this wealth, the poor were being oppressed in that region. And, um, and that's why, he's, you know, what, what are cows oppressing the poor? No. It says here, um, verse one, the cows of Bashan that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, so these cows, this is more of a personification of these cows who oppress the poor. And, and most theologians believe it's the women, particularly of this region, that were getting wealthy in their perfumes and their ointments and looking beautiful, and, but it was on the backs of other people. And that's why the Lord's sort of calling them out. Um, they were well-dressed and bejeweled, as uh, one of the, the theologians says, that really denotes the time of affluence and uh, the nation was really, really rich. So most scholars believe Amos is referring to the fancy, wealthy women who were kind of trampling the poor of this region, which is kind of an interesting thing. I'm just telling you the truth. That's what, that's what it says here. That's misogynistic, Pastor Brett. Well, tell that to God. <laughs> um, uh, so, so what's he gonna do, the Lord says? Um, the Lord God, verse two, swore by his holiness that lo, the days will come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. That's that thing I was talking to you about. You know, the old hook in the nose sort of thing um, that's talked about. Uh, you know, um, it, it's also translated, this hook in the nose is something that um, we don't really, except for right here where it says hooks, sometimes it's called a snare. Like for example, jot this down next to that verse in your notes, Proverbs 29, 25. 
It says this, and this is a great verse it's for today. I, I hope we can appropriate this for our own lives, but it says, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The word snare there is literally translated hook in the nose. Um, the fear of man bringeth a hook in the nose, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Um, you know, I've noticed there's two kinds of people in this world. There's people that live in the fear of man, worrying about what people are thinking, or am I gonna get in trouble with men or people that I work with? Or are they more concerned about the fear of the Lord? Am I doing that which is pleasing to the Lord or offensive to the Lord? And I'd rather live with a healthy fear of the Lord than living with the fear of man. I love Peter and James and John and those guys in Acts, you know, there when the Sanhedrin said, you guys stop preaching this Jesus. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Um, you and I are living in days where I think we're having to make those decisions. Are you gonna obey God or are you gonna obey men? Um, the fear of man brings a hook in the nose. Um, so snare, literally hook in the nose. And then there's another phrase here in verse three, and you shall go out at the breaches, every cow, at that which is before her, and you shall cast, mark the word cast there, cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. This word cast in the Hebrew is always used in context of dead bodies. Um, so that's what it's saying here is there's dead bodies that are gonna be cast into the palace because of this, uh, their sin. Uh, it's a very gr grim and depressing sort of um, picture that the Lord is uh, showing us here. Well, um, verse four, it says, come to Bethel. Um, now, by the way, uh, this is where I gotta shift gears a little bit. Amos now is gonna use extreme sarcasm. So you gotta, you gotta almost read into this uh, sort of a sarcastic thing. And by the way, the Lord does this all the time in the word. Sarcasm is a literary, literary technique that the Lord uses in his prophets. And this is one time where he says that. So if you could, you read a little bit like this, verse four, come to Bethel and transgress, you know, sin it up. Uh, at Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes. And after three years, um, you know, the people were to do that. They were to go and bring their worship and their tithes. You know, every three years they were supposed to, there was a routine that they would go through. And the Lord's like, yeah, go ahead, do all this stuff. Um, verse five, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Um, are you supposed to offer, offer your thanksgiving with leaven? No, it's supposed to be unleavened or um, you know, without sin is kind of the idea there. And proclaim and publish the free offerings for this liketh you, O children of Israel, saith the Lord uh, God. The people um, were playing games with God. That's what's going on here. Um, so Lord's like, yeah, go ahead and play your silly games. But I see it. It's, it's, the Lord's basically saying, I see everything you're doing and you think that you're fooling me somehow by coming and giving your tithes and doing your real religious things. Um, but they, they weren't and the Lord calls them out here. Verse six, it says, and I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and one, uh, one of bread in your places. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I think every dentist office that's Christian should have this verse. <laughs> Amos 4, 6, and I have also given you cleanness of teeth. That'd be great. Um, but actually it's not a good thing. Why are their teeth clean? The reason their teeth were clean is because, not because he gave them a new kind of toothpaste or mouthwash, um, but it's actually because they had no food. Their teeth were clean because they had nothing to eat and God's judging them with famine. 
Um, but even the famine hadn't awakened them to their spiritual depravity and condition. He says, yet, yeah, you know, you've not returned to me um, there in verse six. You've not returned to me, saith the Lord. Even though I've sent famine, you didn't get the, me me uh, the, the message. Verse seven, and I also, also I have withholden the rain from you where there were yet three months to the harvest and I caused it to rain um, uh, upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. Uh, one piece was rained upon and the piece whereon it rained it not, uh, when not it withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned to me? Said Lord, man, I've set this dr drought and, and you're thirsty, but you still haven't come to me. Verse nine, I have smitten you with blasting and mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord? I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. And I have made the stink of your camps to come upon your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were a, as a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Does that sound pretty ominous? Here's God saying, prepare to meet me. You're gonna stay, be standing before me. Um, what a sad phrase, over and over, the Lord says, I've done this, but you did not return to me. I've done that but you did not return. What is it that the Lord has done in your life to get you and me and us to return to him, to walk in his ways and do what his word says, but we just say, I'm really, really thirsty and I'm dying, but we return not to the Lord. Um, could it be the Lord is using things in your lives to just say, man, I need you to come back to me. Come to me, he says. He's always inviting us, but when we're in rebellion, sometimes he uses our trials to try to drive us back. And people said, nope, so the Lord says, prepare to meet your God, verse 13. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness and tread upon the high places of the earth. The Lord is the God of hosts. Uh, the God of hosts is his name. Man, these last two verses, very ominous and threatening, if you ask me. God's just saying, I'm God and you're going down and you're gonna be meeting me here pert near. Pretty soon you're gonna be seeing me face to face because of your rebellion. And that should have struck the people with fear. Um, so really chapter, uh, you know, chapter four, we see you know, this kind of a clear message of accusation. This is what I've done. This is what you guys have done and you're guilty of all these things. So that brings us to chapter five. Let's finish this one up. Um, this is a message of lamentation, a message of lamentation. Verse one of chapter five. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. So chapter four was the threatening and saying, you, because you've done this, you're going down. But now the Lord, his heart is revealed. Oh, this breaks his heart. When people rebel against the Lord, oh, it breaks his heart. And he says, here's the lamentation that I have. Uh, verse two, the virgin of Israel has fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand 
shall leave a hundred. And that which went forth by a hundred shall leave 10 to the house of Israel. Um, this is basically like reading your obituary in the paper, your own obituary. Their army would be decimated. You know, they'd start with a thousand marching in, but you know, only a hundred would march out. Um, or, you know, a um, hundred would march in or 10 would march out. That's the imagery, the dwindling army of Israel totally taken out. Verse four, for thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, seek ye me and you shall live. Now this is sort of weird because it almost seems like they're changing their tune a little bit. Uh, you know, in chapter four, it's saying you guys are toast and you're gonna meet the maker. Um, why is the Lord seemingly to say again, turn and seek me? Um, most scholars believe in chapter five, it's almost like the Lord says, nationally, you're toast. But individually, there's still room for anyone who wants to repent and seek me. And I, I do wonder, um, where is the United States in this? Um, nationally, could it be that, and I, I hate to say this as a patriot, could it be the United States is going down? Um, we're seeing evidences of that. I hope not. I hope we have a revival in our land and maybe buy a few more years of prosperity here in America, that'd be great. Um, but I don't sense that's what's happening. I see us spiraling down in so many ways, mor morally for sure. But because of that, uh, economically, um, just in the happiness index, the threats and the problems that we're facing, uh, how long will we sustain the issues? You know, uh, the, the people are talking about going to war with Russia. That's an interesting little endeavor. Um, when was the last time we really worried about that? Oh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, like the, the people are worried about this right now. If you're not a news junkie, things are heating up. And um, when I see what they've done to our military with, you know, making, uh, you know, people leave the military because they didn't get the vaccine. And, you know, some of our best soldiers and operators and people have been axed, um, you know, and, and the people they're signing on, well, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're so, you know, diverse and so pro-LGBTQ and, and uh, like, it just seems like our military, it's like they're purposefully trying to weaken it. That's, that's interesting. What's gonna happen to this nation? I don't know. I pray for it. But you might say, well, if America's going down, what do we do? Well, then that's where this says, you know, in verse four, for thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, seek ye me and you shall live. This is now talking to the individual. And you and I are for sure responsible to make sure that we're seeking the Lord. And that's kind of what's being said here. Verse five, but seek not Bethel. This is how we know that he was being sarcastic in chapter four. Go to Bethel, make your sacrifice. Now he's saying the truth. He's saying, but don't go to Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal or pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel shall come to naught or nothing. Seek the Lord and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Um, so the nation is toast, but God's you know, um, appealing uh, to the individual for repentance. Um, and remember that Bethel was this place of calf, calf, calf worship. So the Lord says, they're going down because they're worshiping the calf there. They're gonna be judged radically. By the way, do people still worship golden calves? Well, not golden calves as much, but it is funny. Um, did you see the news this week? Um, there was a, a cow born in, and I can't pronounce these places, um, Rajanyadagan, um, a district of Kahatitekashigaga. Um, 
um, people are flocking to a, a newborn cow. Let me show you this. This is some real footage just yesterday of this little newborn cow. Um, you know, these, you know, the holy cow, when you say holy cow, you're actually, this cow was born with three eyes, um, three eyes and four nostrils. Um, uh, and, um, and, you know, people are flocking to this cow because they, they believe it's God. Um, they said, we're surprised its nose has four holes instead of two and three eyes. Villagers are worshiping the calf and said, uh, the caretaker of the calf on January 17th, um, uh, there's a medical screening of this cow trying to figure out what happened, but everybody's really into this. Um, and they believe, oh, I did, forgot to write down the name of it, but there's, they believe it's some uh, God. They, they, they say, oh, this is the God such and such. And they're all worshiping this poor cow with three eyes. I feel bad for the little calf. Um, but uh, all that to say, um, you know, people still line up. You'll see people lining up to kiss this cow and have their children touch this cow. And they believe it's God, um, you know, we really haven't changed all that much. Um, but anyway, uh, that's why the Lord says, man, stop doing this calf worship there in Bethel. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting sideline note for, for those of you that are curious. Well, verse seven, you who turn the judgment to wormwood, um, which is poison, and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow, <coughs> excuse me, of death in the morning and maketh the day dark with night and calleth for the waters out of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Here we're getting a glimpse of God and his awesome might and power. The one who put the stars in the sky. Like this is Amos saying, come on, you guys, you're worshiping a golden calf. Let's go to the one who put the stars in the sky and makes day, day and night, night. Like the real powerful, true and living God is what he's saying. The one that, verse nine, strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. Verse 10, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Um, this, this is saying something that we all know to do. When people speak truth, a lot of people will hate that person. Boy, especially today. Have you noticed that? Um, when you say something, man, there's people that hate you, like the fact checkers, or I'm um, like, it's really an interesting thing uh, how we've, we've got this two-sided debate um, in America that's gotten so feverish. And, but man, if you try to speak the truth, now you could talk about a lot of things, vaccines, medicine, you know, coronavirus or politics or whatever, but it's interesting, that stuff doesn't matter, when, especially when you're talking about as much the truth from the Bible. And I have found when you speak from the Bible, people don't like it, a lot of people. Now I know I'm, preaching to the choir here. You guys are here because you're saying you love the word of God and we want to study the scriptures. Um, that's commendable and that's great. But, you know, largely, now, now, by the way, I always forget some of you are living in places, you know, around the country that are watching online, Arizona and some of you, Oklahoma City, you know, that's not the, the you know, the, the Bible belt, you know, everybody talks about the Bible belt. Oklahoma City is a belt buckle. Um, like that, that's, everybody's, you know, I was in Oklahoma City uh, and I went to a gas station and you pull up and the guy's like, so what domination do you belong to? You know, it's not, are you a Christian or anything? It's like everybody, everybody's, you know, believers there. And, um, but those of you that don't live here where we do, see in Portland, we're on the front lines here. Uh, when you go outside of this building, <laughs> you get the sense that people, if, you, if they know you're a Bible believing Christian, uh, you definitely know you're in hostile territory. That's what I've found. It's interesting when you go to places, Arizona, Texas, uh, even Florida, there's, there's a whole different worldview that's kind of interesting. Now, 
Some of you are saying, yeah, that's why we're moving away from Portland. <laughs> Man, we've lost a lot of Athey Greekers. So good for you guys, uh, Latida. But um, <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I like that you, that you and I have the privilege to live in a place where we are on the front lines. I hope you understand that. Um, some people look at it like, what a bummer that people hate Christians here in Portland and there's a real hostility toward a person who's a Bible-believing kind of thinking person. But man, you and I, we're at the front lines. We, we have a chance to make a big difference. Um, I, I think it's just like the Lord to take a goofball like me and, and you know, my leadership team and my elders and the guys that kind of, and the, the teams that make this church go, we all know we're just a bunch of goofballs. But it's amazing, the Lord uses the weak and the foolish things. So here we are in the you know, middle of kind of uh, you know, a very you know, anti-church, very godless kind of culture around us. And yet um, we're just overflowing here at the church with people who are piling in. I just think the Lord's doing a great work and it's by his grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it or it's not because we're talented. It's just because I think the Lord says, man, you're at the front lines and um, I, I'm gonna bless this, just watch this. So I would rather be on the front lines in the trenches and seeing what God is doing than to be really comfortable in some other state where everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I almost wonder if it'd be harder to be in Texas. Why? Um, well, I like Texas. Uh, I love Texas. But, um, but you know, if, if I could say some of my, my friends that live in Texas, they say the problem in Texas is not that you're in the front lines in the trenches. The problem is everybody says, yeah, God bless America, we're all Christians, and they're not. Some of the people in Texas, they think, because, you know, hey, we're, we're cowboys and we drive pickups, so we're saved. Um, um, there's, there's maybe a little bit of a false sense of, um, of you know, of being a Christian, uh, and, and I get that. That'd almost be harder in some ways. So um, at least here in Portland, we kind of know what we get. Um, and if, you, if you're a Christian, you kind of have to, you have to be willing to uh, take a little bit of a beating sometimes for that. Um, but all that way, uh, you know, what, what it's saying here, you know, this verse 10, they hate him that, rebu that rebuketh in the gate, the person who's speaking in the gate. The gate was the place in the city where people would communicate truth. And it'd be like the person standing on the soapbox would be at the gate of the city saying, repent. That's probably where Amos was speaking, is at the gate of the cities there in Bethel and other places. So um, the Lord just says, um, you know, I understand they abhor the person that speaks rightly. Verse 11, um, it says, for as much therefore as your uh, treading is upon the poor and you take from him burdens of wheat, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you, have not, uh, but you, you, you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just and they take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. So this is back to verse 10. You know, not only they don't wanna hear the truth, but the people that are trying to do the right thing, the just, verse 12, um, they're afflicting the just and taking a bribe and turning aside the poor. Boy, I think we're seeing that again. I, I, I marvel at how close this culture is to ours as I read it here in the book of Amos. Verse 13, therefore um, the prudent shall keep silence in that time for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts shall be with you as you have uh, spoken. Hate the evil 
and love the good and establish judgment in the gate, it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Um, a call for basically individual repentance. And it may be, the Lord says, there might be a small remnant that will be saved if, if you repent and hate evil and love good. Verse 16, therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, wailing shall be in all the streets and they shall say in all the highways, alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandman to mourning and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. And all the vineyards shall be wailing for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Woe unto you. There's one of those woes we talked about on Sunday. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned on his, uh, his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? Some people here were saying, you know, um, sort of piously, oh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Um, that's what we're looking for. But they really didn't know what they were talking about because they were in sin, worshiping pagan deities, and they were gonna be crushed during the day of the Lord. Um, man, this is an interesting thing. Um, we talk about the day of the Lord and... Um, we know the day of the Lord's coming after the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, and it's gonna be a brutal time on this earth. There's some Christians and churches, and, I, and I, I have to say this carefully, but I hope that there's not people that are partying down and living their sinful lives and sort of tacking on their Christianity, thinking they're saved and walking with the Lord. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Only the Lord really knows. But they, they all talk, a lot of times there's groups that'll talk about this and they, they, they could care less about things like sin um, and rebellion against the Lord. It's more about themselves. There's a Christianity today, it's more about you and how you're feeling and what your emotions are. And, you know, and I worry about this group of people. And, and they also will talk about, they won't talk about the rapture of the church or the tribulation period, but they'll talk about the kingdom. Um, there's a lot of those people that kind of come from a dominion theology or a kingdom now theology that says, we're living in the kingdom right now. Well, I sure hope that's not true. That would be really depressing if this is the kingdom of the Lord right now. That, by the way, it's not, uh, the Bible's clear on that. But there's people that believe that. Um, so what about these Christians that are going around, ah, yeah, you know, it's more about you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and, and the kingdom's coming and we're just trying to bring in righteousness in the earth and there's kind of a mentality and, and, you, and you, you see people like that and you're like, somehow that doesn't feel biblical. It's because it's not. And I, I do concern myself with that because there's some people that I think go around in the name of Christianity and might think they're saved, and they, but they, do they really know what the gospel even really is? The gospel is you're a sinner, you need to be saved, you repent of your sins, accept the work of the cross of Jesus and believe on Jesus that he died and rose from the grave. And it says you'll be saved from your sins. That's, that's what a Christian is. But some of these people I'm talking about, they don't even really accept that or even think about that as being a Christian. They think Christian, being a good person, you know, paying your taxes, uh, coaching the little league, um, and you know, but they don't really know what true Christianity is, but they'll say, oh yeah, someday the Lord's coming. And the, you know, and they don't really know about the second coming of Christ and what that all means. And they're saying the day of the Lord, but they have no idea what that actually means. And for some people, like in this story, they're all saying, oh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, but he says, you think you're escaping from a lion only to run into a bear. 
You lean your hand on the wall at the house only to be bit by a serpent. There's some people that they think they're in good standing and everything's great, but actually you're toast because you're not really even saved. That's this, these people here. They're talking about the day of the Lord like they wish it would come, but the Lord's like, you don't know what you're talking about. When my day comes, you're the ones going down. You say, Brett, that's sort of brutal. It is, but it's profoundly simple to know what you need to do to be saved and to be a Christian. And it's amazing, the Lord's made it so simple for us, and yet we're the ones who complicate everything. Um, if you wanna know a little bit what I'm talking about, watch the show, the series, um, um, The American Gospel. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's really a radically true problem in America. If you, um, I think it's on Amazon, if you, you can buy it, American Gospel. Um, one and two, there's two versions or uh, you know, episodes. Um, and it's kind of theological and these guys get into some deeper stuff, but it, it is alarming how people don't even know what the gospel is in America and churches are more about feelings and the experience of you know, people doing, flopping around in the aisles and speaking tongues and stuff. And they're, they're actually missing what the true gospel of Jesus Christ is and, and it, it's a problem. And there's gonna be people, they'll say, oh Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And when the day of the Lord comes to those people, that's gonna be a horrifying day. You escaped the lion, but ran right into the bear's mouth. That's what it says here. Um, So be careful. We need to be people who present a clear gospel of Jesus Christ and not get all uh, washed out with some of the trends and fads uh, here in America about what they say the gospel is. Well, be that as it may, um, it's gonna be a day of darkness, not a day of light for those people. Verse, verse 21, it says, I hate, I despise your feast days and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Um, though you offer me burnt offerings with your meat offering, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the, the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs for I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as water and righteousness as the mighty stream. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Cain, your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. Therefore, I will cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This is God saying the God of hosts, I'm the God of armies and I'm gonna take you out and you're gonna be dragged up past Damascus into Assyria where you'll be made slaves. This is a heavy chapter, but basically verses 21 to the end is like, I I hate your little feasts that you're going and celebrating and sacrificing your animals on the altars. But Brett, didn't the Lord tell them to make sacrifice in Jerusalem? Yes. But these people were playing games with God and God's calling them out for kind of, if you would, he says, I'm weary of you playing church. That's what he's saying in sort of an Old Testament way. I'm weary of you guys going through the motions of your Jewishness and making sacrifice. But what's supposed to be a sweet savor in my nostrils, like it says in Deuteronomy, I don't even smell it. It's not sweetness to me. Your songs, shut them down. I don't enjoy them. Um, Now, this is something that's interesting because the people were doing the songs, but they were still worshiping Moloch. Remember Moloch? That's the one that was the sacrificing babies on altars. They were doing that. Um, And all these other gods and goddesses as well. God forbid 
that the church in America or in the world today, the Lord would say that to us, oh, God forbid that he say, forget your songs, forget going to church and even forget doing your Bible studies. If we are just going through the motions of religion, but man, we're worshiping other gods and doing other sinful things and just kind of, you know, playing the game. The Lord says, man, I'm not gonna allow that. I'm not gonna let that go on. And these people were taken. Um, That's why we need to have a real personal walk with the Lord. Um, And there's evidence of the person who is walking with the Lord. Evidence is like this. They'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. If you're a person who's loving. Um, Also, um, faith without works is dead. If If you're a Christian, if you're truly saved, you're gonna start to see your life start to slowly but surely change. And you'll start to see good works in your life. That's just evidence of a true believer. Um, these people were doing all kinds of bad, dastardly things. Remember the ladies were ripping up the poor so they could have their elegant diamonds and luxury. Like these people were doing bad things. Sacrificing babies on altars, same thing as abortion, really, same. These people were doing these things rampantly and the Lord just says, and you think you're going to sacrifice at the church, this, uh, the tabernacle, the temple? You think that's gonna make me happy? The Lord says, I hate it. Whew, heavy, heavy word. Um, so that's why we need to be walking with the Lord. We need to repent of our sins, do what the Bible says. It's not all that complicated. It's just that I think we wanna do what we wanna do. So we start playing games with God and somehow convince ourselves it's all okay. That's what these people were doing. Amos, man, hard hitting. See what I mean? This little you know, fig picking shepherd from Tekoa, man, he's letting them have it. Uh, and we're gonna see more. We studied chapter six on uh, Sunday. So we'll pick up chapter seven this coming Wednesday, Lord willing. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, this heavy duty chapter, uh, man, Amos doesn't pull any punches. Um, But the people were just totally living in rebellion, but convincing themselves that they were dialed in with you somehow. Lord, would you convict our hearts if that's true in any way, shape or form with us, with the church here in America and things that we think are important that really aren't. Um, more about ourselves and our own happiness than worshiping your holy name. Lord, um, being called to be transformed and changed and not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. Lord, we, wanna, we just wanna have that fruit and that evidence. You, you tell us in, in the scriptures that we'll be known also by our fruit, the good fruit in our lives. And I pray that that would be obvious and evident, Lord. And forgive us where we've embraced godless, worldly sort of mindsets. We see here in this chapter how these things creep into a society and corrupt. Lord, would you just purge our own minds and thinking of of worldly things and help us to hunger and thirst after that which is righteous. Help us to do what your word tells us to do, Lord. So we thank you for this group tonight here and online, the group watching with us. Just pray that you'd um, just give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church. Bless these people. Uh, Bring good fruit, I pray, from this study we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.